Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Good to see you. That does it for us tonight. Thanks for watching. Danfield starts. Hey everybody, I'm Brian Enton in for Ashley tonight. Uh, she has the night off, but it is a busy night. It's a busy Monday. We've got a jam-packed show for you. Uh, there's something very, very strange about a missing person case out of Arizona. A young woman, her name is Chelsea Grimm. I've been studying this case all day, uh, getting ready for the show tonight. She was driving cross-country from California to Connecticut. She was going to a wedding in Connecticut, but she vanished and there are some very, very odd clues in this case. You might be wondering the first thing I wondered, why would she be driving all the way across the country to go to a wedding? It's a good question. Again, I thought about it too. There's a good reason. We're gonna have that explanation. I've been speaking with her parents uh, and we are going to, uh, to have them on the show a little bit later. And tonight I'll share with you a day-by-day -day timeline of where Chelsea was spotted and whom she spoke to, including a body camera video. There's body cam video in this case. We've got the video. It's an interaction with a police officer between her uh, and the officer actually in a cemetery. We'll show you the video. Also, her parents are going to uh, talk to us. They've also hired a private investigator. That's new. Uh, and the private investigator is also going to join us live uh, in just a minute. And then a twist that we never saw coming in the case of the parenting influencer accused of child abuse. You know who I'm talking about. Ruby Frankie. Ruby Frankie, the woman who was telling everyone how to parent, but then they found her kid malnourished and duct taped. Well, there's a new twist. Her husband allegedly tried to have his eldest daughter arrested on a burglary charge just two days after Ruby was jailed. When police refused to make the arrest, uh, he questioned them. It was all caught on camera. What is going on behind the scenes with the husband, by the way? This is the latest development on that front. It makes you wonder what his priorities are the week two of his children were discovered abused and malnourished. Again, the body cam video, we're going to show it to you. Uh, and we've got the new nuggets in that case uh, coming up. Also uh, on the show tonight, it is one thing to talk about road rage, even deadly road rage, but it is another thing to see it. And listen, I live in Miami. I see road rage all the time. It is wild on the roads down here, but I have never seen anything quite like what happened in Portland, Oregon. And there is a photo that really depicts the entire thing and how crazy this was. Look at that. One man dead, another man in the hospital, 
There's pictures to prove the whole thing. That guy pointing the gun out the window, he's in jail tonight. Uh, there is so much craziness with this story, and there are new developments that have come in just within the last hour. Uh, we're going to get to that um, a little bit later in the show. But we begin tonight. Uh, police in several states, they are on the lookout for a California woman who went missing during a cross-country road trip. Her name is Chelsea Grimm. She left her home in San Diego on September 24th, headed for a wedding in Connecticut. She was traveling alone, with the exception of her pet bearded dragon. Remember that, the pet bearded dragon, because that sort of comes into play with this whole thing. Three days into the trip, she met up with a friend in Phoenix, Arizona. That same day, she called her parents to say the drive was taking longer than she thought, and she planned to skip the wedding and head back to San Diego. She didn't realize just how long the drive was going to be, her mom told me. That was the last time her parents uh, actually heard from, from her. But, but it wasn't the last time Grimm was seen altogether. That night, she was spotted at a hotel in Seligman, Arizona. A witness says she seemed disoriented, uh, that she was actually trying to use euros instead of U.S. currency. On September 28th, a police officer responding to a report of a woman acting suspiciously found Grimm in her car at a cemetery, and that was in Williams, Arizona. She told him that she was working on a photography project about missing soldiers uh, and that she had gotten emotional. She told the officer she planned to camp in her car that night. Now, I want to show you this. Here are some of the conversation. It was recorded uh, on the officer's body cam. Hello. How are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing great. Are you doing all right? Yeah. I just was doing a photo shoot of the lost soldiers and got a little emotional, so I'm I was so... crying before okay. I got back on the road. I was actually thinking of just camping for the night, but I wasn't really sure exactly yet. Gotcha. Well, I didn't you... plan to be here until sunset. Okay. Just hang out here however long you want, um, and you're good to go. Awesome. Okay, so two days later, on September 30th, a woodcutter saw Grimm camping in her SUV, and that was near Ash Fork, Arizona. Uh, he said she seemed okay. On October 4th, Grimm's parents reported her missing. The next day, October 5th, hunters found Grimm's SUV. It was abandoned. It was in the middle of a dirt road, uh, and that was also outside Ash Fork, Arizona. Uh, where she had spoken again to that woodcutter. That was five days earlier. This is what's very strange. Both tires on the right side of the SUV, they were flat. Her cell phone, her wallet, clothing, and sleeping bag were not in the car. And again, this is important, neither was her pet bearded dragon, who she had gotten pretty recently. We're going to hear more about that in a second. Earlier today, uh, I spoke with Chelsea's parents, Janet and Stephen Grimm. I uh, hear some of that conversation. Can you talk to us a little bit about her itinerary? Was her plan to drive all the way from California to, to Connecticut? Was it sort of like a, a road trip she was looking forward to? Actually, she was originally going to fly, but because of she had recently acquired a bearded dragon as a pet and the airlines wouldn't let her take that animal on the plane. So she, the day that she was supposed to fly east, for this wedding, she called and said, I'm going to drive across the country. And she said, I've packed my car, I have my tent, I have my sleeping bag. Um, I might spend spend a couple of nights in a hotel, I might camp, I'm gonna sort of see how it goes. And three days later, I mean, we talked to her in, in between, but three days later she said, I'm only as far as Arizona, I just don't think I can do this by myself, which we had tried to explain in the beginning, but. Um, she said, so I think I'm going to just 
skip the wedding and stay here for a couple of days and do a little camping. And then, you know, she made it sound like she was going to head back to San Diego. Saw the picture of the uh, the bearded dragon. Um, was she? Did she have an adventurous spirit? I'm just thinking, like that's a long drive, and the camping was was it out of the ordinary for her to sort of be spontaneous? I'd say I'd say yes and no. Um, she was spontaneous. She changed plans a lot. This wasn't the first time she ever changed a plan, for sure. Um, the magnitude of this adventure, quote unquote, of driving across the country um, was a lot, uh, even for Chelsea. And we, you know, we said we thought that was too much. And if she wanted, you know, we'd help her fly from Phoenix home or, you know, she had a friend in Phoenix that she could leave her car with. We gave her, you know, a bunch of options. Um, but uh, this, this, she seemed intent on this once she had chosen it. What made you report her missing? Like, when when did you start to get the feeling that something was wrong? Well, we last talked to Chelsea on the 27th in the afternoon, and she said, I'm going to camp for a couple of days, and so I'm going to be probably where I'm not going to have cell service. And so for a couple of days, we didn't even think about it again because she was, she had told us she would be offline, and we knew she was in a, you know, in Arizona where the, there are spots where it's not particularly well uh, good for communication. So it was after a couple more days after that that we started thinking this is too long for a camping trip and she should be back. She should be somewhere where she can get in touch. And so on the 4th of October, we reported her missing and on the 5th they found her car in Arizona. He had met up with a friend in, in Phoenix, I, I believe. Um, have you talked to that person? Were, were they able to give any information about sort of her state of mind or what was going on? Yes, actually, our other daughter talked to her at great length, and she shared a couple of emails. Um, and she said that they had had, she, they gotten together and they had had um, a nice visit at her house. And Chelsea and she were going to brunch the next day, but the next day when um, it got closer to time for brunch, Chelsea said, "I'm gonna, I need to go, I need to change plans." So she, she did, with this other friend. Did the friend have any information about like any reason to be concerned, or did it just seem like a normal um, hangout? Not, not particularly. Yeah, no alarm bells or anything. I mean, she says um, they had a nice visit, and she was looking forward to seeing her the next day. So, um, can't really explain that any better. No, she said she was doing a photo project, I think, in a cemetery when she um, interacted with that police officer. Do you know anything more about that? Was was she, you know, a photographer? Can you shed light on that a little bit? Well, she she did photography a, a lot, and she also did. Um, paintings, rendered art uh, to supplement her income, whatever her income was. And so it's not at all unusual for her to have been doing a story or a photojournalist story for some, you know, whatever publication. So that's not unusual. Um, I Being in the cemetery is, you know, 
I guess if you're doing a story on lost soldiers, that maybe there's that's a good place to, to look. I think she also had a strong affinity to her um, grandfather, Jan Janet's dad, who was a World War II veteran. And I, you know, perhaps that was an, a, a draw to the veterans there. Yeah. Have you been able to see that body camera video? I, I think it was on. Did anything seem out of the ordinary or did she just, I mean, you obviously know her better than anyone. Did she seem like herself in the video? Couldn't see much of her. We just heard her voice. That sounded like it was definitely her, in my opinion. Um, no, it didn't seem, you know, out of the ordinary. And one thing that seemed very in the ordinary or in character was how I think she said, I appreciate your compassion or something like that. Um, that sounded 110% like Chelsea. She was, she's a very compassionate, empathetic person, um, kind of an artist at heart, and that sounded just like her. She had an interaction with a woodcutter also. Have you been able to get any more information about that? I know the, I know the authorities have talked to him, or I believe it's a male, um, we don't have anything um, particularly noteworthy to add on that, except he thought she did not seem, you know, in distress or in need. He actually went back um, some short time later to make sure she uh, didn't want help, and she again a second time uh, declined his help. So his conclusion was that she she was in pretty good shape not you know not not worrisome well, it sounds like the bearded dragon was important to her obviously if she was going to drive across the country and not fly um the bearded dragon was not found with the car does that make you think that she went somewhere uh and and took took the pet with her you know i mean is 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 that sort of a, a good sign to you oh absolutely i mean she feels chelsea has always had special part, spot in her heart for children, elderly people, and animals. And she, she would never leave an animal in a car. She just wouldn't do it. So I think that that is a hopeful sign. I also think that um, the chances of people recognizing Chelsea are at least sort of connecting the dots. If they see somebody with a bearded dragon, they're going to take an extra look at that person because it's unusual to be carrying around a bearded dragon, usually on her shoulder. It would definitely stand out, so that's a good thing for people to look out for. <laughs> right, right. She also had a very distinctive tattoo on her left arm, which was um, a vine with leaves on it that sort of wrapped all the way around her lower arm. So another visual clue. Have police given you any other information? I mean, is, is there anything else people watching this should be on the lookout for or in a certain area, or are there any um, other tidbits that they've been able to give you? I wish there were. Um, there's, there is a chance she got a, a ride out of there. She seemed to have left that car of her own volition in an organized way. It was locked. She had taken her wallet and we think her phone and her sleeping bag, among other things, along with the bearded dragon. So, um, the reason I mentioned that is the 
area of po possibilities where she could be is pretty wide. It's a wide net. So, you know, surrounding states have been notified, not just Arizona. The surrounding states, the, the uh, authorities in Coconino County have been terrific in helping get the word out. Um, and so even if you're, you know, several hours away from there as a viewer and you've seen something that you think might be uh, any kind of tip, uh, we would be forever grateful if that's that's an important clue. Um, time is of the essence. And so any, you know, anything that leads to um, progress would be awesome. Gosh, you really uh, have to feel um, for those parents and what they're going through right now. And, and Janet and Stephen, they have hired a private investigator to help them with the search for their daughter. Uh, and Kelly Townsend joins me now uh, on the phone. Um, Kelly, um, it's, it's, a, it's a strange case. Um, hard to wrap my mind around. I was trying to go over all the details today and the timeline and the fact that the car was found. Um and that she's missing with the bearded dragon. H have you been able to piece anything together yet? I mean, do you think that she is, is likely still in Arizona at this point? Well, that's very difficult to tell right now. I mean, the circumstances, you're right, uh, they are um, bizarre. Uh, you know, I mean, in the body cam video of the law enforcement officer talking to her, uh, I just recently been, my, my agency just recently been brought on uh, but I have an interest in, he recommended for her to go to Love's and I'm working with the Coconino law enforcement right now and trying to find out, has anybody gone there to check out the CCTV? Because if she actually mm -hmm. followed the officer's advice and was camping there or just sleeping in her car there, did she get approached? And I know the Love's, um, those Love's, uh, gas stations, I guess, truck driver stations, they um, have places where people can sleep. Truck drivers do it all the time, you know, showers and stuff like that. So uh, I'm, I'm right now, we're just trying to gather as much information as we can. Coconino County Sheriff's Department has been outstanding working with us. Uh, some law enforcement departments, they don't work with you just because you're a private investigator. Uh, but because uh, I'm, I'm interested because there was two flat tires. It was out on a dirt road. How far was the... Uh, body cam video where she was talked to by the police there to where the car was found, you know, I mean, because did somebody interact with her and then they drove down that road? I mean, it, it's, we're, we're all assuming at this point right now because nobody really knows for sure, except God. Um, so, you know, right. I mean, that, 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 that's where we are right now. We have had some interesting things come to light just as of today. Uh, matter of fact, just a few hours ago, that we're working on that could really generate stuff that we're probably going to want to get out on the news if it, if it, if it comes to fruition, because we may have something that uh, we want the world to look out for. Yeah, I would imagine when you start asking questions and, and like you said, around that gas station, first of all, the thought of a young woman sleeping alone with just a bearded dragon in a gas station parking lot makes me a little nervous. Uh, well, can you absolutely. share a little more about um, what you what you've discovered in the last couple of hours, or you know, give us? I a, really a, can't a at this tidbit? point. I, I really can't because uh, number one, we have to verify. Number two, we have to interview, and we these people literally just came up on the radar today, um, and so we're we're trying to uh, get interviews set up and uh, composite sketches and things like that. 
the tidbit about her trying to use, I think it was like euros instead of dollars and, and possibly being disoriented. Um, do you know anything more about that? Because her, you know, her, her parents, you know, told me, you know, she was an artist. It wasn't odd for her to be in the cemetery taking pictures as part of her art project. Um, you know, it, it just seems strange to me that there was that one account that maybe she was like disoriented at one point. Yeah, you know, right now I can't say that uh, I would verify that with you right now. I mean, I thought it was a little odd where she was crying, but she, you know, law, the law enforcement officer walked up to her and she was crying. And he asked her and she said it's because she just took pictures at the, the graveyard and she was weeping for the soldiers. I don't know. I've never personally met Chelsea, but she seems like a nice heart, a very compassionate girl. But was she actually crying and just saying that to law enforcement? You, you follow what I'm saying? Right. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. Or perhaps she was moved by the by the art project she was working on. It we'll could, we'll stay in touch well. with you, Kelly. Um, we 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 want to stay on this story, and uh, I'm glad that you're involved and and, and assisting tragic, the family. You know, I know you just came on. I think. It is. Yeah, I feel for those parents. I just want to put out the phone number. Anyone with information, um, you can contact the sheriff's office there. Uh, the number is 928-774-4523. Um, hopefully, uh, we will have some good news to report sometime this week because she seems like a wonderful young woman. And uh, she's apparently got that bearded dragon on her shoulder all the time, according to her mom. So um, that would be easy to spot. So hopefully someone will see something. Thanks for coming on, Kelly. We appreciate it. Okay, moving on tonight. Uh, it turns out the drama did not end for the Frankie family. You know this one. When Mom Ruby, the so-called parenting expert, was busted for child abuse. There is more. There is more to this story. We now know Kevin Frankie, the dad, tried to have one of the couple's daughters arrested. Wanted to have his own daughters arrested. What's going on behind the scenes here? We'll tell you what have the police have to say about all this, why police refuse to make that arrest. We've got all the details and body cam video when we come back. All right, so we've got an interesting twist in the case of the parenting influencer accused of child abuse. Ruby Frankie's husband allegedly tried to have their oldest daughter thrown in jail for burglary just two days after Ruby's child abuse arrest. What a strange development. Remember, Ruby is the famous YouTuber parenting blogger who police say actually neglected and malnourished her own kids. Well, Kevin Frankie shares six children with Ruby, who was taken into custody on August 30th, along with her podcast partner, Jody Hildebrandt, after Ruby's son was found with opened wounds and duct-taped limbs. According to a recent uh, police report, Kevin Frankie called the cops on his 20-year-old daughter, Sherry Frankie, on September 1st, telling them to arrest her for breaking into the family home by kicking in the door and stealing electronics and hard drives. Let's not just forget, this was the family that was supposed to look so perfect on YouTube. I mean, wow, there was a lot going on behind the scenes. Police refused uh, to make that arrest and told Kevin that they were the ones that forced the door open to execute a search warrant and that his daughter was not responsible. They also informed him that officers uh, were with Sherry when she went to the home to get personal items for two of her siblings, whom she uh, has temporary custody of. The electronics, which include three tablets, 
Three cell phones, three cameras, a stack of written journals, uh, and three passports were returned to police by Sherry. Now, here is the moment that Kevin Frankie picked up his property from the police department. This was on video. Watch his reaction to being told police would not be arresting his daughter. There you go. Is it all there? I... Yes. Now, explain to me again why this was not robbery. Because it's a civil issue. It's You guys are family. She's been in the house before. You haven't been in the house in a year. Um, she had interest in the items. She didn't take them with the intention to deprive you of them. So, theft, that's the theft code. We have to prove intent to deprive you of the items. Um, and that wasn't her intent in having them. So, the detective sergeant said that we're not going to charger for anything. Okay. I'll have to do some more research on that. You're welcome to do that. If you want to follow up with our detective yourself. Okay. Yeah, he'll be here on Tuesday. His name's Sergeant McCoy. Okay. Okay. You're welcome. Take care. All right, and it does not end there. According to a report afterwards, Kevin Frankie allegedly threatened to sue the police department for not arresting his own daughter, Sherry. I want to bring in someone who knows a lot about this case, Lauren Mathias. She was a reporter in southern Utah for years. Uh, she knows the area, the people there very, very well. She is now the host uh, of the popular and wonderful uh, YouTube channel, Hidden True Crime podcast. Check it out, Lauren. Thank you for joining us. You always have the inside scoop on these things. I mean, ever since this came out, I've been wondering about this husband and what's going on. Uh, and now this very, very strange development, like, what is he thinking? Wouldn't, wouldn't he be concerned that his kids had already been through enough? Why would he want his daughter arrested? It's a great question, Brian. Yes, you would think that he'd be thinking his kids have been through enough, and that's where his focus would be. We heard a neighbor sobbing on a 911 call after RF, Kevin's child, escaped from his house, right? We hear the child, we, we, the child comes to the neighbors. The, the neighbor who doesn't even know the child is sobbing, looking at RF, seeing his wounds, seeing that he is emaciated. And so now we have Kevin, the, the child's father, now focusing not on that, but on his eldest daughter, who he wants to now arrest for burglary. After all of that, it makes no sense. And it shows you where the father's priorities are, in my opinion. All right, so Kevin's attorney, a man named Randy Kester, he put out a statement on reports of Kevin suing the police department and trying to get uh, Sherry arrested. I, I want to read this to you, Lord. It says, Kevin didn't do either. Uh, he and Sherry are working together on bygones and resuming a loving and healthy father-daughter relationship. Kevin is still trying to understand and correct the upside-down world that was dealt him. It is a lot to deal with all at once. Okay, so he puts this statement out, but do they not realize that there is body camera video, Lauren? Because we just saw that body camera video. I mean, it seems pretty clear what was going on. It's as clear as day what was going on. He was trying to get his daughter, his own daughter, who had been in the house, right? Remember, she had been in the house. He hadn't been in the house in 13 months. Mm. He was trying to get his own daughter arrested. It's clear as day. So for him to say, oh, no. That's not what happened, and now we have the body cam footage. It's it's very odd, and you wonder what he's he's hiding or what his intentions are. 
Do we know anything about the custody situation, Lauren? I mean, where these kids are going to end up? Obviously, Ruby isn't going to be getting the kids. She's in jail right now. Um, had there been any developments on that front? Yeah, it's a it's a concern. Uh, people are worried. Would Kevin be able to get the children? He denies any abuse himself. He wasn't in touch with, uh, wasn't living with the children at the time. They are in the care of of Ruby and Jody Hildebrandt. But uh, you know, the, we used to know what was going on in these uh, hearings for custody. They've now sealed those custody hearings off, and, and that's a concern right now for the public that has been intently following this case. There were some concerning things that were said at the initial custody hearing about uh, the children actually harming other children. It made everyone very nervous, and now those hearings are sealed, so we don't know what's being said and how the story is being twisted and if Kevin might even be able to get custody now of his children. Yeah, I mean, it's so sick and twisted. And again, this is someone that so many of us watched, uh, you know, on YouTube thinking this was this great family. I mean, man, there was a lot going on behind the scenes that's still unraveling. Kevin, the dad, is obviously denied knowing about any abuse. But I think there's still concerns, perhaps, you know, his legal team's worried that, he, that they might still be building a case against him behind the scenes. Do you think that's possible? I do think it's possible. I think there's a lot that the public doesn't know. And with these sealed hearings and with things, you know, uh, I think there is a lot we don't know. It was it was told that he hadn't been in the house for 13 months. He was separated from his wife, Ruby. He's now in prison. His his attorney continues to claim that he had no idea of the abuse. And again, I just want to say this. Okay, let's say he had no idea of the abuse going on. Was he concerned about the abuse? That's what I think the public would want to know, too. Were you concerned? Were you worried? And then we've seen this body cam footage. What he's really worried about is making sure that his eldest daughter, after all she's been through, is charged mm. with robbery. We're concerned. We are concerned for these children still right. today. Right. That was his concern, apparently, two days after the arrest. Okay. We'll, we'll stay on it, Lauren. Uh, Lauren Mathias, thanks for coming on tonight. We appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Okay, imagine this. A maniac points a gun right at your face. Imagine how you would handle that. What would you do? Well, this is real. This is Portland, Oregon. Look at this. It's not fake. It's not a movie. This really happened. And that man on the ground has already been shot and would later pass away. This got very, very serious on the road. A road rage argument. It went south fast. There's someone behind the camera, too, that he's pointing that gun at who becomes involved. We've got the full story uh, coming up next. A shouting match between two drivers spins completely out of control. And tonight, one man is dead, one man is the hospital, and another man is charged now with second-degree murder. It is a senseless tragedy. It happened a few days ago in Portland, Oregon. A man named Sam Gomez took this terrifying picture, crazy picture. Look at the driver. The car, you see the driver of that car pointing a pistol right at him. See the bottom of the picture there? This man had just shot someone else who would die right there uh, at the scene, right there in the middle of the road. A split second later, that gun would fire again, shooting Sam Gomez in both legs. The guy who was taking the picture trying to document all the craziness, then got shot in both of his legs. 
He's in the hospital tonight. Obviously, an unnecessary, senseless tragedy. It all started with an argument in traffic. I want to get Caitlin Becker in here. She's a senior reporter uh, for the Daily Mail. I mean, come on, Caitlin. You live in L.A. You know about crazy driving, too, um, and road rage, and it happens all the time. But, like, this is really some scary next-level stuff. It is, Brian, and this is a lesson for me because I am from Jersey, and we tend to shout back when we're in the car, and what a come-to-Jesus moment this is. Apparently what happened was there was some sort of altercation on the road, and the victim who you see here lying there on the ground, apparently the two guys flipped each other the bird. This guy gets out of the car, walks over to the window at Hammond's car. Now, witnesses haven't been clear as to what they were saying to each other, so we don't know exactly the words that were exchanged, but people have described shouting. And then witnesses say he rolls down the window, pulls out a weapon, and fires. And then you see a second victim come out and, as you can see here, snap the photo. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a warning for all of us. Like, I get mad sometimes, too, on the highway. Uh, and, like, I, you know, if someone does something really awful to me on the highway and, you know, you want to, like, yell out or, you know, you want to f- show them that you're upset, but you never know. Uh, like, my mom always tells me, you never know, like, what the person in the other car, they might have a gun. And this is the perfect example. And it's a, it's a, a crazy madman. What do we know about this guy? You know, we know quite a bit about him, Brian. Apparently, recently, he actually changed his last name from Mandalas to Hammond. I don't know why that is, but there was a name change recently. He is a bankruptcy working its way through bankruptcy court, and there are several criminal charges that popped up in the state of Illinois, um, eavesdropping, assault, vandalism, trespassing, domestic battery. So there seems to be quite a bit there. He's apparently a wealthy guy, drives a Mercedes, has an expensive house in Portland's West Hills area, according to property records. He apparently owns several firearms. We certainly see him with a firearm in these images. And he doesn't seem to have any remorse or denial about the incident. He called 911 on himself and has been participating in the entire investigation and has sat down in law enforcement and, according to law enforcement, gave his whole account of it and feels that he was completely justified in shooting both the victim who died and the other guy who got shot in both legs. Yeah, I mean, even if he was going to try to say, look, I felt threatened by the one guy who came up to the window, but how how could he possibly defend himself then from shooting the other man who was just recording the whole thing on his camera? I mean, it seems wild. Well, Brian, he told police allegedly that he thought Gomez was going to ambush him in some way, even though this guy didn't have a weapon of any kind. He's not from the area. He had basically come out of the Moxie Hotel where he was staying because he's there for a conference and sees the situation. And of course, Brian, the first thing I thought to myself is if someone's pointing a gun at me like this, I'm not snapping a photo. But what Gomez has said is that, and several witnesses have said this, that once the gun came out, the driver flashed some sort of badge, almost looking like he was law enforcement. Mm. So Gomez thought he was an undercover cop, maybe trying to control the situation. And then suddenly the gun is pointed at him and he fires, hitting him in the legs and apparently took a second shot at Gomez as he was driving away. He additionally allegedly tried to shoot the victim who died a second time, but the gun malfunctioned. Oh, my gosh. Do we know if Gomez... The guy who had the camera, I mean, obviously, sadly, the person on the ground 
is is not going to be okay. Died, but is is the other man who was shot? Do we do we know anything about his condition? I mean, he's apparently talking to police, so that's a good sign. He's talking to police. He said that he is. He spoke to a few reporters. He says he is lucky to be alive. It could have been a lot worse. He mm. was shot through one leg. It went completely through the leg and then crushed his other femur from. The, the leg that was behind that one. And he, like I said, is absolutely lucky to be alive. And for the victim who passed away, there is a GoFundMe set up to take care of his, you know, expenses. And that's where people can donate. See, there we go right there. Ryan Martin, he's the homicide victim that they're talking about here. They're raising money for him. We have all of those details up on dailymail.com. And apparently witnesses did say that he was pleading for his life when the gun came out, was saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was mm. just having a bad day oh, and, and tried to, to plead for his life. Yeah, it's, I'm just reading the GoFundMe right now that he's got four children um, that he leaves behind. What a terrible, terrible story. Um, Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on and uh, breaking down the details. We'll have to follow the case as it, as it moves through. Thanks, Brian. Okay, still to come tonight, uh, the recent discovery of Suzanne Morphew's body in Colorado. You remember that case. It's one we've covered. Well, it's, it's raising more questions than answers. What one of the country's leading death investigators is saying about the, this discovery, what it means for her husband, who was once charged with murder. Don't forget, he was charged with murder. They dropped the charges. Years later, they've now found the remains. We haven't heard much since they made that discovery last month. What's going on? Could there be an issue with the condition of the remains? Uh, we're going to talk about it coming up next. There was a big break in the case of a missing woman in Colorado last month. You remember uh, they found the remains of Suzanne Morphew about 40 miles away from where she disappeared on a Mother's Day bike ride uh, back in 2020. Such a tragic case. Finding the remains, it was a big deal, obviously. Uh, it was a big deal on the show. We covered it extensively. Uh, it led to a lot of hope that the mystery would finally be solved. But ever since then, investigators really have gone pretty quiet, which has many people wondering if the condition of the remains are an issue. How she got there, how she died, who might have been involved. Uh, nowhere near being answered, at least from what we know on the outside. There might be a lot going on on the inside with the police. They haven't released much. Uh, Barry Morphew, Suzanne's husband, had been charged with her murder, but the charges were dropped last year, just days before his trial was set to begin. Is he totally out of the woods now? The charges were dropped without prejudice, without prejudice. Remember, that means that they could be brought again uh, depending on the evidence. But my next guest says the evidence is not what it might have been three and a half years ago. Jo Joseph Scott Morgan is a forensic analyst and distinguished scholar of applied forensics at Jacksonville State University. Um, it's always good to see you, Joseph. Um, you bet. So what do you think that police are dealing with here? I mean, obviously, the remains were there for years. Uh, do you think that's an issue behind the scenes that investigators are having to deal with? Oh, yeah. You bet, Brian. And, and it's not so much what the police are having to deal with right now. It's what the scientists are having to deal with or all that they have remaining at this point in time. You're talking about an area where the body was found and the police have specifically identified this area and pay very close attention to this verbiage as a shallow grave. You know, that this is this implies an action, doesn't it? You know, animals don't dig graves. This was a shallow grave. That's how they frame this. And one of the initial reports that came out was that there was some level of body disbursement, that they found certain items that were dispersed from that central point where the remains may have been deposited originally. So, yeah, 
it's the scientists that are at work here, Brian, and I'm sure that uh, what they're looking at right now are probably skeletal remains. If it was a shallow grave and you talk about uh, disbursement in the area, I mean, does that indicate like animals had been in that area? Uh, yeah, it can imply one of two things. Obviously, I think probably at the extreme, somebody might say, well, was this a potential dismemberment? Um, you know, that that remains to be seen. Everything remains to be seen. But in my experience, uh, when you begin to think about this, uh, yeah, it would be animal. Uh, the body would have been dispersed uh, via animal uh, scavenging, essentially. And, and you know, there's there's been a couple of figures, and it's been kind of murky. I've heard up to 75 yards. I've heard another person phrase it as 75 feet. And if you think about the shallow grave, and this is the way I like to describe it, as the hub of an old-fashioned wagon wheel and the spokes of the wagon wheel radiating out, many times this deposition that we see at these scenes like this with with skeletal remains will kind of radiate out. And it's dependent upon the animal that mm-hmm. is there. They They take remains out to their... Uh, to their little areas where they live and, and that sort of thing. And so it would have been a painstaking task, to say the least, to collect everything that's there. I'd, I'd be surprised if they were able to get everything. We only have about a minute left, but I'm curious, um, you know, could, could DNA remain on remains that had been out there for years in a shallow grave? Could, could a suspect's DNA still be somehow on someone's hair or something like that or uh, are the yeah. chances of that of that pretty pretty low at this point i'd say it's at the very low end the the one thing that we don't know at this point in time was the body cocooned in any way that means was the body wrapped and memorialized in the grave uh with that if you you might have some entrapment of some evidence there uh and also you know when i begin to think about this i, I think about you know what what's going to be the cause of death here brian because if we're talking about skeletal remains, we're not going to have a lot of soft tissue, perhaps. So you're not going to be able to appreciate things like hemorrhage. So we'd be looking at things like impact injuries, uh, gunfire, maybe uh, depressed injuries like depressed fractures, that sort of thing. And really, that's that might be the only thing you have left to hang your hat on. Physical evidence is going to be sketchy at best, I think. Yeah, they've obviously been quiet with what they've released to the media ever since finding the remains. Hopefully, they're, they've got a lot going on behind the scenes. Uh, Joseph Scott Morgan, we always appreciate you coming on. You bet, uh, Thanks for being here tonight. Uh, no other uh, persons of interest or arrests have been announced, but anyone with information, obviously, this is still very active. Uh, please call the police there, 719-312-7530, or you can email cdps underscore Suzanne Morphew underscore tipline at state... Uh, .co.us. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tragic, tragic case. So up next, uh, it is a manhunt times four. A jailbreak in South Georgia means four prisoners are on the loose, one of them suspected of murder. I feel like we just did this story. It keeps happening. We've got all the details. We'll tell you what to look out for coming up. It has happened again. Police in central Georgia tonight are desperately searching for four jail prisoners who broke out, and they are on the run tonight. It happened before dawn this morning. Uh, these four men, this is them on the run. Take a look. Joey Fournier, Mark Carey, Anderson, Jonifer Bernard, 